0: Welcome to Unboxed. I'm your host, Connie Nam, the founder of Astrid & Mew. In these conversations, I speak to the founders of some of the most innovative, bold, and exciting businesses to discover the person behind the brand and what it took for them to build their empires. Hey guys! Happy New Year! Welcome to Unbox. I'm Connie Nam, founder of Astrid Demu, and, and your host. Today we have a very special guest, our very own CMO, Sarah Rivnik, who also happens to be my first hire. We'll be asking one another questions around the story of Astrid Demu during the early stages, so this will be quite a nostalgic and emotional episode for both of us. We'll be sharing how the brand was back then and how it's evolved to what it is today. If you're starting a business and need to hire that first employee, this is the perfect episode for you. And today we have a special mini AMA where I'm answering your business questions. So stay tuned till the end. So Sarah, welcome to Unbox. Welcome to, I guess, my studio, our studio. Thanks. <laughs> so let's go back to the early years. What um, were you doing before Esther did me? Before I hired you? yeah so
1: a long time ago so I'm from Sheffield I went to uni in Leeds I graduated in 2010 which was not a great time to graduate there was no jobs you had to intern for free you had to do as much work experience as you could to get anything so I moved back to Sheffield um, and then I moved to London so I got um, an opportunity to work in office shoes for a work experience it was like I don't know, £5 pound a day. I got the job offer on the Thursday. I moved down on the Monday with a Wait, suitcase. did you say £5 pounds a day? £5 pounds a day, That's yes. That's crazy. Yeah, there was just one incident that really sticks in my head of I'd been interning for a few months. I had nowhere to live. I was literally staying at a friend's house Monday to Friday and then at the weekend I would go somewhere else so I wouldn't be a big burden and it was a Friday night I was kind of wandering to my next place my bag had broken I'd sellotaped it up um, and then I just walked straight into scaffolding. like boom had this massive egg on my head and I rang my friend. <laughs> it's funny now but it's, it probably <laughs> <I know>. wasn't. <laughs> it's funny now you look back at the time I was like oh what am I doing with myself and at that I was so ready to move back and then my mum and dad were saying okay like we'll help support you for a couple of months until you find your feet then I got a full-time job and then I got somewhere to live so my first full-time role was working for a jewellery suppliers who also wanted to set up their own brand on the side um tiny tiny it was uh, the family who owned the suppliers in the factory there was me and then one other person who works for the suppliers so It was a really great insight into jewellery, into kind of doing things yourself. Like I did everything. I did the packing, customer services, social, marketing, events. um, And then that led me on to meet you. Yeah. So, yeah. That was before I and m And that's how we
0: met. So yeah. we shared a PR agency and you were sat across from us like in the booth and you were running the show. I, like, I thought you were the founder because you were so confident <laughs> and you kind of owned everything and you were so good at speaking to press. You could confidently represent the brand. Like I was so shocked that you were 24 and you were just like running everything. So why did you decide to hire me as your first employee? Oh, are you fishing for compliments? Yeah. <laughs> Bring them TV. I guess like in hindsight, I, I couldn't articulate at that time. You, you just had like really good vibes every time I met you. But I think the independence, like I mentioned, you were kind of running the show and you looked very comfortable with yourself and mm-hmm. you were saying the right things. Um, you know, it was a PR setting, obviously, but you seem to have a lot of common sense. And I think that's probably the most underrated thing skill or attribute like (laughs) you know like it's really hard to find people with good common sense you had really good common sense and I could just see that like grit and fire in you you just had that passion obviously I heard this story about like a sofa or bed crashing every week (laughs) later on. But that kind of explains like why you had so much grit. And I guess like you already had grit in order to go through all of that. Mm. I guess when you started working at Astrodynamic, you were doing everything because you joined as my assistant at the Mm -hmm. time. And I kind of dumped on you everything I didn't fancy doing. But you did everything so confidently. So I was like, oh, she's... She can do more. She has a lot more capacity and then you became marketing director and then CMO now. Do you think your work experience at that, I guess, supplier brand really helped working at Astrid and me aside from your grid? And if so, how so?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. Like my previous experiences, I always worked in a smaller company or just me. Um, I guess I had no not a lot of formal training I did textiles at uni and the rest is all just experience of like different retail brands so I already had that determination to push myself and I think I wanted to succeed like because of what I've been through I didn't want to just move home I wanted to stay I wanted to I did wanted to make people proud of me I wanted to make my parents proud because they'd like invested in me so I just couldn't fail and I'm, I'm a big multitasker. I love having a million different things going on. I guess that's just my personality. So I'm used to doing that. It was It was really tough because I didn't know the right answers. I just kind of thought on my feet. But yeah, my previous experience, because I did everything and I worked independently and I didn't have that founder to speak to on a personal level, this was such a nicer, better experience, but I'd already been through something similar. I think working in this environment, it's hard and it's not for everyone. And if you don't have that determination and drive and happy to get stuck in and really like think on your feet and think of it as your own, it's, it's really hard. So yeah, those early experiences definitely helped me and made me who I am now.
0: I know when I offered you the job, you didn't tell me at that time, but you only (laughs) told me a few years later, (laughs) you were on the verge of moving back to Leeds where your boyfriend was based, Mm -hmm. like quitting the old job and going back. But you Mm -hmm. just decided to stay in London for this job. And it was, um, you know, we didn't have an office. You were coming to my (laughs) flat. How did you make that decision?
1: What were going through your mind? Yeah, I mean, it
0: must have been a huge risk.
1: Yeah, it was a big, it, it was a risk, but it wasn't. It didn't feel like a risk it wasn't a quick decision. So something I don't think I've really told you, but as soon as I met you, I said to Steve, like, I love this brand. I love like Connie. I would love to work for her. I I really love jewelry. I always have done. I love accessories, retail, but it just felt there's something really special. And the products I love, like I wear them as the customer. So I kind of like From like kept in touch, hoping that you would want me to come and work with you. And so, did you have a hunch? I think I did because (laughs) otherwise, again, really easy to move home. Me and Steve have been together quite a few years. We really trust each other, we're in it for the long run. Like, just moving back a year or two before I did would not have really made much difference. And he was the one that said, You have to do it. There was no risk in terms of I wasn't losing any money, I was kind of going on the same it was really minimum but if I didn't take that risk then I don't know what I would have done or I would have just kind of gone back to a retail job or somewhere that I wouldn't have been fulfilled in so I risk but I'm yeah So glad I took it. Yeah, it it (laughs) paid off, hopefully. (laughs) It did, it did. So what were your challenges in those early years before hiring me? I think it was just the loneliness because I was in my flat.
0: There was no one there. I mean, obviously, I had a flatmate, but she was an investment banker. Mm -hmm. So she was gone by 7 a.m. and she wouldn't come back until like 1 or 2 2 a.m. So I remember this one particular week, I didn't leave the flat because Mm. I was just working. I was uploading everything on the website and I just wanted to get all the shots done. I was taking all the photos by myself. So I woke up at 6am and then like worked all the way through until midnight. Mm. I think I had like one banana at that time. (laughs) So it was getting very unhealthy because there was no one really keeping me in check. Because I can be very extreme like when I'm into something. So I think that's been the biggest challenge. Mm. And I could feel myself becoming physically weak Mm. after that. So that was the biggest challenge. And I guess like after I hired you, like a lot of that has been resolved. You joined um, me in my flat mm-hmm. for how, how many months did we work um, in the flat?
1: It was a few months. Yeah. yeah. How, like how did it feel for you? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was really surreal. I remember coming on my first day into your flat working on your dining table and then you gave me my laptop and... Then I went home and set my laptop up and I was kind of like, oh, I don't really know what I'm doing. But I feel like because we were in that setting, we got so much closer, got so much closer to you and the product. And it felt like I was really involved from the start, creating something that was like, mine as well versus going to an office and it was different so I really enjoyed it yeah um, I feel like sometimes I left you at the flat yeah. and went for yeah. meetings right <laughs> yeah so I was just sat in your flat on your dining room table and it's your kitchen <laughs> and all the product was just in a little chest of drawers and did
0: we sometimes have interns
1: yeah in the flat with you and I was just not there yeah <laughs> <So we have laughs> that's interns. all I remember <laughs> yeah it was quite nice to explore West London they go for lunch around there yeah It was very surreal. It wasn't something I guess I really thought about before I at the job or when I did take the job. And that <laughs> um, post office used and to the wa- post, walk to. Yeah, so I used to walk to the post office every day. Um I did that for, a, I think, a year, year and a half. Yeah, even when we moved to the office, right? Yeah. We,
0: we were in Notting Hill at that time and then we moved to an office in North Acton just because yeah. the rent was really cheap. Yeah. It was... um Into a tiny. Yeah. I don't I don't know how... I don't remember how big it was, but I think it was tiny. Like as big as a bathroom. Yeah, <laughs> it was. Yeah. We could probably fit four desks in, yeah. but we at some point had all the products lying around on the floor during Christmas time yeah.
1: <laughs> and we were walking over all the products. Yeah. Packing everything, walking over, there was literally yeah. no space to do anything. And it was like a greenhouse, was a big window and so in the summer you couldn't actually work and there. you had to go home because you're yeah. like cooking in this tiny little bathroom. Yeah, so
0: we started working from home that summer before work from home. Yeah. <laughs> what were your biggest challenges during those early years?
1: Yeah, it's really hard to think about it because it's all kind of just went by in a blur but I think probably one of the main challenges was that there was no and this is with working at any startup I had no job role like I wasn't quite sure what to do but if I didn't do it no one would do it so it's very much like thinking on your feet I didn't know the answers I had no like formal marketing training or like business training I was just kind of like figuring things out which is a big challenge but it it has made me who I am and I think like that that was one challenge and also I guess like the financial side of living in London and having a boyfriend who lived in Leeds and travelling backwards and forwards and minimal pay but I wasn't in it for that, that wasn't what motivated me. I was in it for the long run rather than the short term. Also being okay with failing and doing things wrong um, which was a big challenge which happened a lot.
0: And was there anything you couldn't tell me at that time
1: that you can tell me now? Because yeah. of the nature of the relationship <laughs> and nature of the business
0: yeah. at that time?
1: I guess a lot of things I could tell you or speak to you about. Um, but uh, thinking back, it's like I struggled to ask questions. I didn't want to ask too many questions. I kind of just wanted, I was really responsible. I wanted you to think of me as being really responsible and you know you were so busy so you just kind of like give me something to do and I just had to run with it and do it even if I didn't know what that was or what that meant so and you were so good at it I guess that was one thing if I was to go back I would do more I'd ask more questions and not be too worried about what you would think of me um but that's, I guess, in my nature. Yeah, I wouldn't have <laughs> thought less of you, by the way. Yeah, I know. And nowadays, that's what I tell everyone to do. ask lots of questions. Um, it's the best way to figure things out. But I think when you're young, um, you're lacking confidence. Also, a lot of pressure and responsibility to do, to just think on your feet and do yeah. things. Yeah, and I guess
0: there's no one around you
1: except for me. Yeah, as well. And there, there's a bit of a conflict
0: of interest because I was the boss.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I guess that also was a big challenge that I had no team, that was just us. And then the team that we had were interns or kind of like generalists that would come in and out, um, which was a big challenge because um, I love working in a team, I love people, that's what gives me energy. Um, so when we started being able to hire, more people in different specialist areas and build up departments it was yeah much easier to have that sense of team around me and same question to you was there anything that you can tell me yeah I was thinking about this as well
0: I think um you know you worked in London and after about two three years you moved back to Leeds because I could see that it had a really big strain on you like mm-hmm. you some weeks you looked very tired or you looked a bit down so we discussed this mm. remember yeah and you went up to leeds to be with your boyfriend now husband so it all worked <laughs> out <laughs> Yeah, still um, there. <laughs> at that time like i mean i guess i kind of touched upon this but mm. i wasn't sure like whether you would continue to be committed mm-hmm. after you moved back to Leeds. I obviously wanted you to pursue your love and your personal life because that's much more important, I think, mm. than your career. Mm. Um, and career, if it happens, like it, it's great. Mm. So I wasn't sure whether you would continue to be committed or whether you'd you know, start looking for a job in these. So like I always had this, um, yeah. I was always nervous that you might leave. So that's something I know now you won't leave. So yeah. I can tell
1: you. <laughs> well, yeah. you better not. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, that was a big challenge because no one did a remote working back then. That was yeah. like 2015. Yeah, we were innovating. Work from home before yeah, work from con- home. <laughs> constantly innovating. And also I didn't want to feel like I was distancing myself from you and the brand and the company and I wanted to make sure that it worked because I did want to stay here I didn't want to leave and I would have stayed in in London longer if you hadn't given me that opportunity and I think I felt more connected and more passionate to make this work because you had given me that opportunity which I know a lot of people wouldn't have done at that time when no one was doing it but it all worked out well and you know Covid now that's what everyone does so it's the same. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Worked out well for me. Yeah, worked out really well. Yeah. And you were in a rhythm already.
0: Yes, yeah.
1: so I adapted so well.
0: Yeah, uh, and I think you were really so easy. good at um, keeping in touch with the team and still being very connected because you're such a strong communicator. Mm. And I, that, I think that's key for work from home in general. Yeah, it's all about communication, for sure. Yes. I love. <laughs> <laughs> Was there a specific moment or episode where you felt like it was a huge mountain to climb, but you couldn't tell me and you had to stick it through?
1: Yeah, so I think this would have been, I can't remember when it was, like 2015, 2016, and it was Black Friday. It had really blown up and there was like five or six. In a good way for the business. In a really good <laughs> way. It's a really good moment. It's a very pivotal moment and it's something that I always remember. And so there was five of us or six of us in the office Someone left. So we were all just sat there packing constantly, like 24-7, seven days a week. And it felt never ending. I also came down to them for five weeks straight. So I was living out of the back again for five weeks. And it was like, how are we ever going to get to the end of all these customers were complaining, inventory was wrong, like stock was everywhere. It was quite a nightmare this so was before a finance team and a merchandising team yeah yeah there was like six of us <laughs> in the office so that was a point where we're like right we need to step up now we need to look for a warehouse we need to get those functions in place it was a big moment and like Connie you were you were packing constantly too yeah. there was no time to do anything no so we were all completely we, we all out
0: we um uh, what do you, like factory. Yeah,
1: you know? Connie was doing the gift wrapping because she was the best at gift wrapping. <laughs> that was a big moment of change and, yeah, yeah, grit, I
0: guess. And we started looking
1: at warehouses in January straight away. Yes, right? we did. And we got a warehouse within a few months and, and things really changed and then freed up so much more time. I didn't have to go to the post office every day and like count all the stock and it, it did get us to that next step. And then we had an ops department which is great. Yeah, yeah Shani joining. Yeah, Who's <laughs> still with us. Yeah. So, yeah, it was it was really tough, but yeah, a good moment. What well, what about you? What's yours?
0: For me, I mean that that too, but I think raising the first investment in 2015 and I think this was when you went back to Leeds and also mm. I wasn't sure whether you were committed or not. <laughs> <laughs> I guess like after you, I haven't had um, I mean we've had like uh, great people, but I haven't had someone who I can kind of trust fully, like I trusted you. So when I was fundraising, it was a, um, you know, it was a real journey. I, from the moment I prepared my pitch deck to actually getting the investment, it took me six months. Hmm. And I really wanted like someone to talk to. But obviously, you, you are still also junior, you're, yeah. you're in marketing, and you're also remote. So just not having someone to talk to mm. about like that journey yeah. and uh, you know share the failures oh my god like they rejected me <laughs> 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 I think I, I think yeah. that was hard at yeah at that, that, that moment like I felt lonely again yeah I can imagine what was your highlight at Astrodome during those early years
1: so there's so many but I think one of the main ones for me was when we had the top shop concession it was really early on I, can't, I don't think we had retail at that point. I
0: don't think so. We we ran a few pop-ups, but yeah. in a very,
1: like, small scale. Yeah, so we had the opportunity to have a six-week pop-up in Topshop on Oxford Street, which at that time was, like, the main shopping place. It was massive. It was, like, coming from outside of London, that is the shop that you would go into when you go shopping in London. Yeah. You weren't bothered about anywhere else. So it was a really big moment, and we wanted to make it special, and so... Again, a really small team, but we decided to create this packaging that was like a four step packaging process (laughs) all by hand, where we'd have like the jewelry package and then the illustration, then a bow, and then all of this. And it was a really, really manual. It was hand stapled. Hands, yeah. (laughs) And I remember sitting on the floor, like doing this production line of product, and then going in really early putting it there seeing it displayed and just having like I can't believe that this is our you know brand and people coming in who saw it who like were talking about it and it just yeah again something really shifted at that point it was yeah such a proud moment and without us knowing the awareness probably
0: shot up yeah by being in Topshop I heard that we oversold the Freedom Range at
1: that time. I don't know whether people remember the Freedom (laughs) Range but it was really a moment and an era. Yeah and as you walked in to the main doors it was there so visible for everyone. Yeah. The
0: packaging was so special. It was manual but it was worth it.
1: It was. It was really cute. Bows like bows are everywhere now but However yeah. many years ago. Yeah.
0: Funny story. I went to check on the merchandising and there was this girl who was looking at the packaging and she tried to steal <laughs> one of the packaging because it was the Zodiac collection. And we yeah. had these little cards with the Zodiac traits. And I guess she was trying to take her Zodiac. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I went and tapped tapped her and said, excuse me you're not supposed to steal that. And then I put it
1: back in. <laughs> <laughs> We'd also go in and spy on customers and see them looking at their yeah. products and see. Also, it was great to see their reaction. Like we hadn't really experienced that yeah. much before. So it was good to see them in person, like engaging with it, touching it, like yeah. talking about it, wanting to buy it, which is yeah. incredible. In a, in a big scale at
0: that time, mm-hmm. because the only inter- real interactions we had were pop-ups. Yeah. Now we're going to move on to a quick fire.
1: Sarah, you start. So how have our roles changed so far when we went from a startup to a scaler? I talk about this a lot, but being a
0: founder and being a CEO are two separate things. And Mm -hmm. I I guess like being a founder CEO is another thing, but I'll save that for later. So when you're a founder, you're kind of dipping in and out of everything and kind of doing things. Whereas as a CEO... It took a while for me to realize my role is to make sure I create a great workplace for people and to motivate people and also to show up with a lot of positivity and enthusiasm. <laughs> I guess like I only realized that later on that I have a very big impact Because of the nature of my role Mm. on people, on how I show up. So shifting that, shifting that mindset from being a founder to a CEO. And I think I only became a CEO maybe like two, three years ago, in my mind, in my LinkedIn profile, even. I just had founder of
1: Askrenomy for the longest time. I only Mm. put CEO very recently. Mm, I didn't know that. Yeah. What about you? Um, I guess for me, so yeah, when I started, I was like doing everything, Executive, like there wasn't really a clear path and I had to do everything myself. And then even in the early, however many years, it was all executional, I had to be on the ground, think like it was my ideas, execute it. And then shifting to, I guess, head of marketing and building up my team and the department I also had to shift into like people management, thinking differently, like moving myself away. Also, being okay with not being involved in everything is a big yeah. mindset. Same, shift. same
0: here. <laughs> I wanted I, to do yeah, it. I felt a sense of loss and control mm. whenever. I mean, including you, you who who's a marketing expert. Whenever someone's like doing something and it's amazing, I feel happy. But I just like sometimes felt like, oh my god, like am I not needed? Yeah. <laughs> Although no. it's my business, which is like really funny.
1: Yeah. Weird. <laughs> it's a yeah big mindset shift um and the things that I loved being creative and having an idea and doing it but then I have a team to do that now and I just have to really push them and motivate them so yeah big mindset shift but I love people I love developing people and I feel like get so much like sense of achievement seeing them grow and do the things that I couldn't have thought of or executed yeah. on my own so yeah. yeah a big change
0: yeah and I guess like a lot of the concerns people have when they're shifting from an execution role into a management or leadership role is thinking how do I fill my time yeah yeah and how, how do you fill <laughs> your time and how did you make that transition
1: yeah oh my gosh my time is um constant there's so many different things going on um But it's like stepping away from the day to day. Most of my time now is, yeah, like coaching and mentoring my team. I have an amazing team, but also relationship building with different stakeholders, communication, which I love, collaborating with different people. So making sure that um I filtered down the right things to the team I'm not too heavily involved in certain things but I give the right influence but also help them with the bigger picture so spending more time with the leadership team building the vision like the long-term strategy and making sure that, that is aligned and then the team take that on board too but also like I guess my biggest strength is um positivity and woo and making sure that that filters through into my team you have to be really passionate to be in a this environment I hope that I can instill that into my team too to get them as excited and passionate as possible and within marketing like you can't feel like you're not very great at your job if you aren't really passionate and excited about what you're selling or what you're trying to push because that really portrays into the messaging and what customers see. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think like being able to think about strategy and future
0: is huge. For yeah. for me anyways, and I think for you, because as you we talked about the Cyber Week, all of November, December, we were busy packing, even yeah. like this this was maybe like seven years ago.
1: Yeah. And we had no time to even plan for January, yeah. remember? They we just have to plan a week in advance, whereas now, like it's great that we can plan three, four years. Obviously, things change. You have to pivot. And we need to make sure that we do. But it's so great to be able to look ahead and have the headspace to do that. Exactly.
0: And it's so much more exciting when you can see through the future as well. Yeah.
1: What three qualities do startup employees need?
0: I would answer with six qualities. So the first three are curiosity, passion for the business and Mm -hmm. your discipline, and also a we mentality, a collaborative mindset. And then the three qualities that are very early stage employees require, mm-hmm. that, that, that was in you and a lot of the earlier employees that I've seen within Astrid and Mew is superhuman work ethics. It, it's got to be superhuman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then second is independence. Yeah. And the third is resourcefulness. Yeah. What are the three pieces of advice you'd give to someone who wants to join a startup or who's in an early stage startup?
1: I guess one main thing and something I did was to get to know who the founder is and what they're trying to achieve and their long-term vision and if that excites you and really aligned with what you want to do then amazing if it isn't then you're it's not really right for you because you work so closely with the founder you're so engrossed in everything and if you don't believe in them then it's going to be really hard to succeed so I think belief and trust in the founder and the product and what you're trying to achieve also yeah I guess it depends on what motivates you as a person and if you want quick wins if you're really like financially driven if you want to switch off at 5 p.m maybe not the right environment if you don't have superhuman work ethics (laughs) yeah but if you want to create something bigger if you want to be involved in something different um and you are really like motivated to push yourself, and a maximizer I think you need to like superhuman juggling lots of different things um yeah, that's really important. And then, so the third, and I think one of the most important is adaptability. You need to be able to be agile. You don't, if you love structure and you love rules and policies, like you want to go somewhere where that's already set up. Whereas in a startup environment you have to make that yourself, which is really thrilling for me and other people that are similar to me. But I've seen people really struggle with that. And that's okay. Just means that that's not the environment for you. But you need to be able to move very quickly. Something you've worked on for months might then change within a second. And you need to be okay with that, which, again, not everybody is so. Yeah, I think they're the three. What are three tips on getting your first hire right? Very good question.
0: So the general tip is hire for potential, Mm. not for skill at that time. So number one is hire for grit and resilience and curiosity. (laughs) And second, see whether they ask good questions and whether they actually listen and remember.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And the third is common sense. Yeah. Common sense might be, I I don't know, it it could be very subjective, but I value it a lot and I think it's the most underrated skill or trait in a person. (laughs) What are the three things that shocked you the most in joining a very early stage startup?
1: Yeah, really good question and difficult to think of. I think, again, in my circumstance, I'd already been in a startup, so nothing really shocked me. But I guess in general, the key things that shocking but people need to be aware of are the first one would be how you wear many hats so you have to be okay with going to the post office every day then like packing the order speaking to customers doing the email then going to an event in the evening then doing a pop-up the next day um again which isn't for everyone but you need to be okay with doing lots of different things and in turn it then really helps you to know which path is right for you. So the second thing I think is it's integral to the startup mentality in nature Um, but it's the speed of how quickly things change and you make decisions and adapting to that and one minute you might be yeah in your office packing something and then then you might have this thought of doing this big campaign or going to this event, and then you're there the next day. So it just moves so quickly, and you need to be ready for that, um, which is very different to any other environment. So the third thing I would say is the complexity around the impact of the customer. And obviously, we know like you can't have a product without customers. Um, but I think you don't really understand until you're in it. And the feedback that they can give you and how maybe aggressive they can be can really impact you and it can really like swerve things. But then at the same time, you can get these amazing reviews from customers and it spurs you on to the next step. And I think when you're in it, you don't realize. So it's like building a thick skin, being focused of what you're trying to achieve and not letting that sway you which I think is something I've really learned. Yeah that's hard isn't it (laughs) especially when you're building it and the
0: feedback is coming directly that's really hard like that that was hard for me personally. Yeah
1: because we're the ones speaking directly to them you're speaking directly to them and they, ha- they think you're a big company, but really it's two of us <laughs> in your flat <laughs> trying yeah. to create a brand and yeah. a direction and it does impact you. But yeah, and we are the ones that made
0: this like, yeah, <laughs> this yeah. product I designed
1: and you're complaining about it. <laughs> yeah. I hate you. <laughs> no, um, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's so important and everyone knows that. But I don't think you realize that fully until you're in the space. Thank you so much, Sarah, for
0: being my guest. And I'd love to have you back in the next couple of weeks so we we can talk about the scale-up phase of the business and also um, being a leader as moms and females. Yeah,
1: love to. Thank you.
0: (laughs) Question number one. If you were to start again, what would be your first steps? Very good question. It really depends on what kind of business, but I'm assuming it's a product-based brand business like Astridomu. The first thing I do is get my first set of designs, first set of collection and find a supplier, produce some enough quantity to gift and sell a little bit. So I would probably um, produce more to gift and then hire a really smart assistant like our CMO Sarah (laughs) used to be 11 years ago and also a really great photographer to get the marketing going. Number two, how do you juggle motherhood and entrepreneurship? So I have a lot of help. I appreciate that not everyone will have all the resources, but I have family helping. So when I had my two kids, um, my mom came from Korea for a couple of months, and also my mother-in-law helped out extensively, and I've always had a nanny. Right now, I have a great nanny who lives with us as well. And um, finally, and most importantly, I have a very supportive husband, and we split everything in half. Another thing that's really important is... um, just making sure you break down your calendar and every moment is utilized. You, can't, you don't have any time to waste. So I used to even block out time to play with the kids and put them to bed in my work calendar. So I don't miss those moments. How do you find relevant angel investors and approach them? So um, there's a couple of ways. So once you know that you need investment, just tell everyone, tell your friends. You don't know who will know someone who can make that investment or who can make that investment around you. And second, there's a couple of um, angel investor groups. So just Google them to see which ones would be relevant for you. Contact them to see whether you can pitch them. And third, you can go into Companies House website, search for a company you admire and see who's on the director's list and try to contact them. Find them on LinkedIn, contact them and say that you admire the business that they're a director in, whether they'd be willing to meet for coffee. And the way I would approach them is compliment the business they're in or an investment they've made and then like take it from there. Question number four, what made you start a jewelry brand? Did you have any other business before or experience in business? So the answer is I didn't have any business before. I started my career in investment banking, and I also did a stint in luxury branding. So I did have experience in business. And a lot of the things I learned through investment banking and luxury marketing is marketing and business development. Um, And obviously, like from a technical point of view, I learned how to look at P&L and read financial statements and build out a financial model. So those were really helpful. I didn't have any prior jewelry experience either, but I always wanted to start my own business. And it could have been in anything um, in fashion, but jewelry was always really special to me because I used to travel a lot um, as a child. And whenever I went to places, my favorite pastime would be going to markets and boutiques with my mom and picking out jewelry, and they always had a special meaning to me. And also from a commercial point of view, this is very cliche, but there was a gap in the market in jewelry. It was really hard to find well-branded and well-made jewelry um, that had accessible price points at that time. Anyways, question number five. What is one thing you wish you'd done earlier in your business? I think I would have invested more in photography and just the general look and feel of the brand. I think I tried to save a lot of money. Uh, Obviously, I knew I had great products and um, I spent a lot on PR and marketing, but I think I would have spent the equal amount on photography and branding. Number six, how do you know when to trust your gut or when to take advice? You know, whenever someone gives an advice, listen to them, listen intently and see what you can take away and what you can throw away. But always know that you're the only one that has the full context and the vision of your business and trust that. Question number seven, at what point did you decide to raise investment? What was the decision-making process? So I raised my first investment in 2015, which was three years into the business. I ran a couple of pop-ups, but it was a digital first brand, but I set up the business always wanting to have a physical space. So I raised money to open our first store in St. Christopher's Place. Thanks for listening, guys. If you enjoyed this AMA, there's a link in the show notes where we'll be taking questions um, regularly so we can produce more AMA episodes like these. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to follow the podcast wherever you're listening or watching. You can follow me at Connie Nam, Astrid and at Astrid and Miu, and Unboxed Instagram page at Unboxed underscore Founder Confidential. See you next week.